and it's exciting to have you tune in after we've been off for a few weeks and right now particularly exciting because again uh, we are in the throes of talking about this book that comes out September 7 listen I didn't plan the release of, of this book I've written I've written a book called fractured faith finding your way back to God in an age of deconstruction um, I'm gonna tell you more about my story next week today we're gonna talk about uh, the lies that you're believing that are leading you to deconstruction. Some of you may not even notice some of the lies you might be buying into right now, but you might be closer to a path of deconstruction than you might think. I'm gonna explain what that means in a moment, this concept of deconstruction. It's funny, when I wrote the book, people were just starting to talk about it. I wrote the book a couple years ago. If you've written books, you know there's a process of when you start writing to when the book comes out. And so we're in this final stages. I couldn't have planned it better. God's will, by God's grace, we're uh, uh, launching this book on September 7. That coincides exactly with the beginning of what we look at as sort of the academic year, the Bible study year. So we're excited to be able to host a, a, a weekly Bible study through our Facebook community, where every week we're gonna read together a chapter of the book that first week you're gonna get the book on September 7 we'll meet on September 9th and that first week we're gonna discuss chapter 1 you're gonna have a chance to ask me questions if you're listening to this in any other venue you're not part of our Facebook community like YouTube has this sometimes a podcast is gonna have this we welcome you no matter where you're listening maybe you're even listening from Instagram we invite you into this Facebook community right now as I look at the list there are people watching live they have the opportunity to ask questions to interact with us we love this we love the community aspect of being together here discussing themes that might be very difficult maybe trials that we're going through and so I uh, just want to encourage you to if you haven't gotten this book ordered yet you go on to Amazon and you get this going so that you can read with us um, there's a lot of ways that you can get it eventually it's gonna be out on audio I think they're putting that together now and it's gonna be on Kindle so you don't have to actually buy the book although you might want to underline it and, and and get it and keep it but today we're gonna talk about just sort of what your appetite a bit without getting too many details I'm gonna read you a little bit of what I wrote here at the end of the session but I want to start um, I thought the best place to start this discussion on the lies that might be leading you to deconstruction. In fact, just stop for a moment and ask yourself, you don't have to, in fact, this is a point I wouldn't write anything in the comments, just a moment of reflection. Where are you sort of in the scheme of faith? Think about your trust in God. When I talk about faith, I'm talking about trusting God and his word and how close you feel with God. And so there's a spectrum of that. There are moments in life where you feel very close to God, but there are moments where you don't. And much of our problems in life happen in that gap when we don't feel very close to God, we don't feel his presence. And, and, and in that zone is when we start believing lies about who we are and about who God is. And the more we walk down that path, the more uh, we are on a path of deconstruction. Uh, interestingly, I'll mention this at the end, I created and trying to, to make a, it, this esoteric concept a little bit more tangible, I created a, uh, a tool that you're gonna have uh, to be you're going to be able to access at the back of the book that i call the deconstruction diagram and many of you who are part of our launch team are already have already seen this and you might have followed through sort of the sketch of what it looks like deconstruction is not a one-time event it's a by the way deconstruction is a very popular word right now there's some very big christian names of people who used to be christians and now do not claim to be christians anymore they've abandoned at least the term christian the term evangelical there's a lot of ways that people define deconstruction my friend karen Swallow prior just August 4th serendipitously or by divine ordinance I think by divine sovereign grace I had an article that she just released in the religion um, news service I think religionnews.com that she writes for and and the title of this article is with this much rot there's no choice but to deconstruct 
And I thought she gave a really good definition of deconstruction. This word is going to become very relevant to you guys as we get into uh, the book Fractured Faith. But, but more so, forget the book, as you consider your own life and where you're at with God. Ask yourself, am I somewhere in the spectrum of deconstructing? Because you don't wake up deconstructed. You make your way towards deconstruction and you believe certain lies. I'm going to cover three of them here in a minute. But, but she defines deconstruction essentially as what happens when a person asks questions that lead to the careful dismantling of their previous beliefs. All right, that definition, Irina, maybe you want to throw this up. That help, I should have sent it to you sooner. But it's a deconstruction is what happens when a person asks questions that lead to the careful dismantling of their previous beliefs. And so we're hearing that term by people who used to, you know, maybe grew up like there's a couple of famous names. I won't name any names, but you, right away, many of you may be thinking one of them is in the news again today. He's now selling courses to help people who have deconstructed. So he's made it in the news again uh, because it's sort of ironic that he used to be a faithful person and, and, and sell books on that side. And now he's selling books on the other side. So sort of suspicious. But, but without my cynicism into that, the truth is that every one of us at some point in our Christian life will undergo this time, the season of asking questions. And while there's nothing wrong in asking questions, um, how you answer them will make all the difference in the world. And so what might start off as doubt or questioning might turn into a, a disbelief and event, or a, a more serious doubt and a disbelief and eventually a dismantling of a complete trust in God. Or the very, very opposite takes place, which is my story. And we'll talk more about that uh, next week. But for today, just want you to kind of get some framework. When people talk about this deconstructing of faith, if you're a little bit older, you might be like, man, we don't question what we've always been taught. Well, listen, if you are 35 or under, maybe 40 or under, you question everything. It's just the nature of what this next generation is. That is why so many people who used to go to church in the millennial and under generation now are no longer describe themselves as Christians. They fall under this nuns, N-O-N-E. You know, 51% of young adults now describe themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E. They just don't believe in anything. So some of them, many of them have deconstructed. They grew up in the faith and now are no longer in the faith. And so I talk a lot about that in the book, but, 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 but Karen, let's go back to that article for a second, leading into what I want to say today uh, about the lies that you believe that have led to deconstruction or are leading to deconstruction. She gives this great analogy of a, of a home reno project. And if you're a HGTV fanatic, like I have been in the past, I'd love me some Joanna Gaines. How many of you love Joanna Gaines? You can put the heart button up there. I mean, I was just a target today. She's got a lot of cool new stuff. Didn't buy anything today. I'm trying to save my money. I've spent too much this summer with our Hope Ranch and the retreat getting ready for you guys to come visit. But 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 this analogy that Karen, Karen gave about how they were redoing their bathroom and they thought it was a little job. And next thing you know, they t tore down walls. And, and next thing you know, what was a little job turned out to be a huge job because they saw this rot the rot behind the walls. And, and that is what it really is a great example of what happens to many Christians. You look good on the outside, you show up, you go to church, you, you, you look. And, and, and by the way, I'll talk more about that next week because I was in that zone where it, from the outside, everything looks just fine. You might be living that life right now. It looks like everything's fine in your life, but underneath there's rot. And so I've kind of summarized three big areas for tonight and for today of, of rot and in those areas of rot, there are lies that we believe. And I'm telling you, you might be believing some of these lies and you might think it's not a big deal. I'm just questioning God and those things. Be careful because you may be on the path to deconstruction. 
Most of the people who are currently talking about, man, you used to be a Christian. We're not, they never would have thought in their life that that was them. They would have thought that they'd been faithful to the end. And so what are those three areas of rot? All right. And, and again, I'm going to grow out some lies that we believe in those areas. And so, so what leads to this questioning of faith, this kind of rot that leads to deconstruction, I've categorized into three big categories. Number one is rot of personal disappointment. This is huge. And so the lie here is the life that I'm living now, I don't deserve. I deserve better than this. Is this one of the chapters in my book is called, uh, uh, is called uh, Why Did My Story End Up This Way? That's chapter two. Probably one of my favorite chapters. Why did my story end up this way? And so the rot of personal disappointment is this rot of like, man, I, I, I just thought God would fill in the blank. But instead, the life I now live is fill in the blank. And so there's this, there's this lie that the life that I'm living, I just don't deserve. I deserve better than this. God, how did you, how did you allow this to happen in my life? And so there's, this is rooted in pain. In fact, so much of deconstruction is rooted in pain, a painful experience that you didn't expect, you didn't want, but you're in. And it just doesn't seem fair. And so there's this rot of personal disappointment that grows out of that. Are you believing that lie today? You might be. You know, it's easy for me to look at some Christians who are seasoned and, you know, my mom is, she, I was going to say she's great to be around, but she's also can be aggravating because there's a certain generation of Christians that are like, man, they just have such a unshaken confidence, like bad things happen and, you know, you'll be upset for a second and then you're like, but God is sovereign. It's all good. I trust God. Well, I'm not always like that. I'm like a wrestler, and, 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 and I want to be like, but why? Why aren't I like that? Because I, I didn't think that my life would be this way. Maybe you're like me, and maybe you, maybe you used to think that, that this is, man, it's, it's okay. I can take a little trial, but trial turns to delay, turns to doubt, turns to disappointment, turns to, man, I can't do this anymore. Maybe you're living there right now. Maybe you look good on the outside, Maybe you show up to church and you sit and you've got your Bible and your notes and you're here tonight, but you're hurting inside. Oh man, I talk about that in this book and then some. If you've read the book, man, you can attest to that. You can just put your thumbs up there and be like, yep, yep, she covered that. Here's another rot area. So there's a rot of personal disappointment. Here's another one. There's, I call this rot of institutional disillusionment. It's a bit of a wordy sentence. Rot of institutional disillusionment. And we look in our churches, we look in Christian ministries, and we see a lack of integrity. And we see abusive leadership. We see leaders who said one thing, but they're living another thing. And it's fine if they're way over there. But most of us have experienced this up close in our own institutions, in our own churches. And so there's this wave, this movement in the last five to 10 years. Maybe it's been going on longer, but it seems to be on steroids in the last five to 10 years where we, we're looking at these people that now we call celebrity Christians, but you're like, man, what happened to them? And so the lie that we believe here is that because the person that I'm following is not worth trusting, therefore all leaders are not worth trusting. We just figure, man, People can't be trusted. No, no, Christians can't be trusted. And even more so, Christian leaders can't be trusted. I genuinely believe there's a cancer, not, not surprisingly and completely understandable, but there's a cancer in the church pews 
of a growing lack of distrust and disillusionment in what we call Christian leadership, and rightfully so. And shepherds that were supposed to be leading the flock have now stories that can make even the most ardent, bold, modernist blush. You can't even tell the story to your friend because I can't, I can't even give the details because it's more than I can say and utter from my mouth. And so I call this the rot of institutional disillusionment. This is leadership disillusionment, and that will destroy your ability, not, that, not just to trust the, the, the authorities that God has put in your life, but to trust God and his authority over your life, because in some ways it becomes so confusing to separate sort of what is just bad leadership to sort of this, this connection between God and Christian leadership. And that has destroyed our ability to function in the local church. The premise of my book, and if you kind of see the, the, the top, the picture, you can see these are just sort of a symbol of the church. They're like the, the, the I don't know what you call those. Maybe somebody can throw that in the comments, but, but sort of that little arches of the church because the, the, the foundation of my story is rooted in this hurt of church world. Moving forward in the podcast, as we start, you know, in September, as we start discussing the book in greater detail, I'm going to run a podcast series with people and their stories and institutional disillusionment. It's so common. It didn't take long for me to be able to put together a list of people who can tell their story. Man, I, I, I trusted the church. I trusted people that God had put in my life. And now I no longer trust and so the lie we believe is that, is that just because one or two or three leaders can't be trusted now, the lie is that no leaders, all form of leadership cannot be trusted. And so be careful. Is, that, is, is there personal disappointment in your life or is there, is there leadership disillusionment in your life? And if you're, if you're suffering of disillusionment, not just in leaders, but in Christianity now, listen, you're, you're not alone. You came to the right place. So, so one of the t- chapters in, in the first point, personal disappointment, I told you, I have a chapter called How Did My Life End Up This Way? Here in this one, it, 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 the, my fa- I told you the other one was my favorite chapter, but, but here's, here to give you an example, chapter uh, four, is this how Christians are supposed to act? That's the number one reason why people are leaving the church. Man, it's not Jesus that's drawing people away from the church, it's, it's Christians and Christian leaders. And by the way, the answer to that question is no. No, and it's not to say we're perfect, but but typically when the question is asked is because there's pain related to leadership abuse or some form of leaderly wrongdoing. So that's a rot area. That's an area that will lead to deconstruction. Here's a third big area of rot and a lie that we believe. So not just the lie that I'm living life that I don't deserve, it's a lie. We have every breath that we take. We're given so much more than we deserve. No leader can be trusted. That's a lie. But here's the third one. I call it the rot of cultural disconnect. The rot of cultural disconnect. And I put under this umbrella, I sort of try to think in categories. Y'all know that I like to think in sort of three-point outlines for the majority of life situations. You know, I'm going to be dying and be like, what do you think? Well, three-point outline. It's just my brain functions this way and you either love it or hate it. I assume most of you like it because you're here again. I'm so grateful for you. But this rod of cultural disconnect is, is, is it, the, the lie here that we believe is the questions that I'm asking 
don't have biblical answers. Now, you might intellectually be like, no, of course they do, but, but, but I really believe that there's a generation of Christians rising, again, mostly in the millennial and under, but even above the millennials, the Xers, the Gen Xers like myself, and even the boomers who now have questions that they don't think, that we don't think have biblical answers. And so there's a cultural disconnect between what our church and our background and maybe our Christian upbringing has taught us with the cultural, the rapid cultural changes. And so things along the lines of probably the biggest example of that is the LGBTQ movement. Today, the podcast that we ran was a rerun of an interview I did with Sam Albury. And so just a hot topic. Even today, I had emails from people asking questions and, and talking about it. Why? Because, because it's a question that's on our mind. How does the church handle and deal with it? How has the church dealt with LGBTQ people and not well. And so one of the questions, one of the chapters in my book is, is why is it hard for Christians to love? And so that, that is, listen, it's because we're sinners. We know that, but, but the lie is that Christians can't love or that Christians have failed. Therefore we don't give Christians a chance. And so, so, so we come to the table with questions that, that we have fooled ourselves into thinking that have no answers. And it's not just the LGBTQ movement. We've got racial divides and racial strife. We've got partisan divisions. Man, we've got political arguments now. We've got COVID mask laws and vaccine debates. I see more energy right now poured on social media on opinions on the vaccine. I get regular emails from texts from today. Somebody texted me an article and he's like, what do you think of this guy? I don't even read them anymore. I don't listen to them anymore. I can't take the strife. All I know about COVID is there's a lot of it right now. And what people need isn't your and my opinion. Okay, I'm a doctor. Maybe they need a little bit of my opinion, but really they don't care about my opinion about the vaccine. What people need is love. But the problem is that so many of us have deconstructed because so caught up in a lane of a question, man, the church can't answer it. I don't understand. I asked the question and, and I'm not getting good answers. Maybe not just the church can't answer it, but maybe you've believed the lie that the Bible doesn't have the answers. You think that, man, science versus Bible and, and on and on and on. And listen, the truth is that there are some difficult questions. But just because you don't have the answer yet doesn't mean that the answer is not there. So these are lies that lead to deconstruction. But I can't stop right there. Today I want to finish this kind of conversation, this discussion with a passage in Scripture. And I wrote down, I, I want, so this is kind of big picture, deconstruction lies, but I want to zone in a little bit because you know me my my heart and my preference is to open god's word and to teach you from god's word i'm a been a bible teacher my calling in 2001 was to be a bible teacher and god by his grace has allowed me to continue to do that and in this forum on thursday night community and and on the podcast and on youtube and on instagram i try to look for some ways where we can spread the word of god and and so even tonight as i think about some of the lies that lead us to deconstruction. Now I want to move from sort of the intellectual space to the heart for a minute. I want to read you Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, the story of Jesus walking on water. And I'll just read you a few verses and I'm going to give you three and a bonus one, three mostly, but then a final thought on how the disciples almost dismantled and deconstructed. They had many moments where they almost did, but in this situation, listen to this. It says, and by the way, the story comes right after the feeding of the 5,000. 
in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, he, Jesus, made his disciples, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So it was Jesus who sent them in. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Man, I love the story for so many reasons, but here's, here's an observation. We're talking about lies we believe that lead to deconstruction, and there's three obvious ones in this passage of Scripture. If you've been following along, I think you can make these applications pretty intuitively. Here's the first. There's this assumption, there's this lie that we believe that because Jesus is on my side, I won't ever hurt. Again, intellectually, we get that there's verses that talk about rejoicing and trial and that we cannot avoid tribulation. Like, we get that. But somehow, when we suffer repeatedly and persistently, there's in us a sort of disappointment because we think that because Jesus fed the 5,000, now we're getting in a boat, he's leading them into the storm? What kind of Savior does that? And so there's this lie that we've convinced ourselves that somehow, like, if bad things are happening to me, like, there's a disconnect, like, surely Jesus wouldn't allow bad things to happen to me. And yet we see clearly in the text that it was Jesus who put them in the boat and sent them to the other side, fully knowing what was about to happen. And you might not like hearing that. In a minute, you're going to see how this turned out for the best for them. I think with all my heart, I believe if you end up reading this story, you'll see exactly how this played out in my life as well and how I believe it will continue to play out for so many of you who are leaning into this disruption in your faith, these questions that you're having. But there's this notion that we've got to disband. There's this notion that we've got to throw out the window. This is a notion that somehow Bad things don't happen to Christian people. Oh, they might happen to good people, but not to Christian people. And yet in God's word, over and over again, we see godly people suffer. And that includes you and me. But there's a purpose for it. Here's another lie I see in, this, in these verses about, about Jesus sending them into the storm and then walking on the water. Here, here's a second lie. The second lie, and I think this is so interesting, Deep in so many of us, we don't even notice that we believe it. But it's the lie that because Jesus has not shown up yet, then he must not care. That because he hasn't shown up yet, he must not care. No, look, look, look. At the beginning, we don't think that, right? I mean, at the beginning, we think, oh, of course he does. He's setting up a miracle. But one year, five years, ten years into it, we start to wonder, like, seriously, God? And we think, man, just because he's not here, 
And so it is not lost on me in these verses in Mark 6 that it was the fourth watch of the night. That was like well past 3 a.m. I mean, like they've already been through the first watch, the second watch, the third watch. This is like Mary and Martha, they pray, which is the equivalent. I mean, they send after Jesus. So they know who to go to. They know what to ask. They are loved by Jesus. He loves them. Same situation. I mean, this is a relational. This isn't a stranger. This is Jesus and his disciples. In the same way, Mary and Martha had gone after Jesus when their brother was sick, man. They're like, surely he'll come back. And he waits until Lazarus dies. Some of you are hearing this right now. And you are looking at things and people and situations in your life that are just dead. And you believe the lie that because Jesus hasn't shown up yet, he does not care. Funny, I don't talk about this passage of scripture in my book at all, but I do tell the story of the time when Jesus was in a boat and they went in a storm and they were freaking out and he was sleeping. Does it feel right now in your life that Jesus is sleeping? Does it feel like you've already passed the first, the second, and third watch of night and you're wondering, man, is he there? Here's a third lie that we believe. Just because we don't recognize him doesn't mean he's not there. In the story here, they're in the water, there's a storm, and Jesus comes walking on the water, and at first they don't know, they don't recognize him. They're sitting in the boat and they're freaking out, and they're, you know, worrying. If you've watched The Chosen, I think there's probably an episode on this. I haven't watched season two yet, although I can't wait. I was waiting for them to binge together. So that'll be on my project list as soon as I can breathe. But basically, they're, they're in the boat and he comes walking by and they think it's a ghost. Like they can't even fathom a world where Jesus is walking with them. Why? Because they just can't recognize him. And because they don't recognize him, they assume he's not there. And yet he's always with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And the Lord knows how guilty I am of this lie. Not just that he must not care if he hasn't shown up, but this concept sometimes that just because I don't see him, I assume he's not there. But do you know, my friend reminded me of this um, quote by John Piper this week, which is, God is working 10,000 different things while we're focused on this one thing in our life. Just because you can't see him yet. This is like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus was with them. And yet they couldn't recognize him yet. And yet they assumed he wasn't there. So don't assume if you can't see him yet that he's not there. Because listen, the truth is that he's with you and he's closer than you think. Biggest encouragement to me is, I was reminding people, man, it's a Thursday night and you're part of the world and you're watching a doctor who's teaching the Bible, talking about the, the odds of you hearing now through the Spirit of God exactly what it is you needed to hear tonight. Listen, this isn't about my you liking me because you might never even have met me. This isn't about anything other than God reinforcing to you the truth that he is with you even now, that he loves you, that he hasn't forgotten about you. All these lies of deconstruction, whether it's personal disillusionment, leadership disillusionment, maybe it's, maybe it's cultural disconnect, maybe you're in a storm and you can't understand how God's word fits into the culture, but you're looking at your life and you're like, man, it's stormy. All I know is he was with us and he had fed the 5,000. I'm waiting for my people to be fed and I'm starving and, 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 and perhaps tonight 
the reminder for you is that just because you can't see him or just because it doesn't seem like he's here yet doesn't mean he's not at work in your life. Man, the last one I wrote, this is, you know, I like three points, but I'll squeeze in a fourth as I finish this thought tonight. The line that just because Jesus was with them, that he was just like them. Let me explain that a little. I think there's a sense for the disciples for a long time, like I think they sort of, and again, I don't want to overstate what I what they thought because I don't know other than reading scriptures. But honestly, I think he, I mean, they knew he was the Messiah intellectually. They said the words, but to a certain degree, I sort of think they assumed he was sort of like them. But it took those crises in their life to reveal the truth that Jesus was more, that Jesus is more. And so over and over, when they're faced with these situations that seem so commonplace and they sort of look at Jesus, who they sort of, I think there's this, again, he's like Messiah, but he's here and he's with us and he's one of us. And, and I think in some ways we bring down the deity of Christ without even noticing. Like we just sort of forget. We talk to him. I think our modern day prayer vernacular, by God's grace, we, where we can walk and talk directly to God. We don't need a mediator. But because of that, I think we've forgotten that he is God and we are not. And so over and over again in scripture, we have these situations where um, the miracle does happen and it's not at all what you expect and it's not at all what you saw coming and, and perhaps it's not at all what you would have written for yourselves who would have put themselves in a boat in the middle of the night, almost dying from the storm. And yet it was that miracle that set up the understanding that Jesus was not like them, that he is God. And so they fall on their faces. Again, same story when when he quiets the winds and the waves, and even here. So it's this, I, this concept, this idea, like who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Listen, I know without a shadow of a doubt that what you're going through right now is meant to open your eyes to the reality of the divinity of Jesus Christ. It is to point to his glory. Last week, we talked a little bit about the Red Sea and entire point of the Red Sea, God told Moses it was to glorify God in the eyes of the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. It's like they, it's like they knew God was on their side. It's like they understood it to a certain degree, but, but it was those opportunities of breakthrough that put them on their faces and said, man, he is Lord and I am not. And so if you're struggling right now with some of these lies, perhaps that's all God is trying to open your eyes to, and what greater truth is there in the world than a thorough understanding of the reality of God, that he is alive, that he is at work, and that he is closer to you than you think right now. I thought, and I think we have a little time, I thought I would read you, just to put you a little bit in the mood, a couple of paragraphs to sort of synthesize some of those things that I read today and I, I sort of opened this right before we started tonight and I thought there was a couple paragraphs that might be fitting. And then I think we'll end, see if there's any questions that you have right away and then we'll close in prayer. And so I wrote this in page 111 of the book, what we call disillusionment in our faith is often just the normal Christian life. Perhaps it's time we hear this more regularly in the church. Too many of today's youth groups are focused on entertaining its young with some doctrine thrown in for good measure, but not enough to turn the masses away. Young people lean into messages that promise God's favor in their life. 
They underline verses that promise good things in their lives and judge God's goodness by the number of likes they get on social media posts. By the time churches send their young folks into life after high school, they have taught them how to play the part of a popular Christian speaker or worship leader, but have by and large missed the opportunity to disciple them. Their maturity is an inch deep and will not, our maturity is an inch deep and will not sustain the assault on our faith that's sure to come in this broken world. Is the church to blame for the weak discipleship produced in today's well-lit multi-site churches? Are parents to blame for the shaky faith of their sons and daughters? Is our culture to blame for the ungodly influences luring young Christians into disbelief? Are celebrity pastors to blame for wrongly modeling what it means to be a true follower of Jesus? Is the big evangelical complex to blame for monetizing Christianity? Perhaps nobody's to blame. Instead of playing the blame game, what young people need to be lovingly and clearly taught is that when they leave home and experience a crisis of faith, they are simply living the normal Christian life. Perhaps you right now are experiencing the normal Christian life and the lie that you've been believing is that there's some dismantling of your faith happening when maybe all along God is simply trying to strengthen your faith in Him and the, the reality of His presence in your life. If you don't see that yet, my prayer for you tonight is that your eyes would be opened and your heart would be soft to the truth of who He is and who we are.